Thank you for listening to the S Factor podcast. This is a pre recorded show. Please, no phone calls. Welcome to the S Factor. Now here's your host, Chuck Shazer. Hello! My goodness, it feels so great to be back on the air. We had that whole leap year thing that kind of threw me off a little bit. Usually it would have been on last Saturday, but nonetheless, here we are. It is my pleasure to be with you today. I thank you very much for listening to The S-Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. Oh my goodness, what does The S-Factor mean? What the heck is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ooh, what a great song. The S stands for science, and this show will dive deep into the science of Mars today. Instead of March Madness, of course, we have the whole collegiate basketball tournament thing coming up around the corner. Teams will be chosen, I believe, this Sunday. So instead of talking about March Madness, I'm sure there's other shows that cover that, sports stuff. We're going to talk about Mars Madness, because that's our territory here, isn't it? Science. Speaking of science, don't forget to check out scienceanimated.net for all things science. There you can purchase Science Animated, the human body. Watch the Orbit Show YouTube series and also listen to past S-Factor radio shows via the S-Factor podcast. All of this is available at scienceanimated.net. Of course, the podcast right now is a recording of this broadcast. So you have to miss if you happen to miss the S-Factor on Cruise 92.1 WVLT, you can check out scienceanimated.net and listen to the past S-Factor podcast. And there's more coming. There's some exciting things on the horizon with scienceanimated.net. Lots more content on the horizon. Actually, there's an Orbit show that will be debuting very soon. A new episode. It will actually be a music video, so that's pretty cool. I think everyone will enjoy that. You know, there's. And speaking of entertainment and enjoying things that are fun, it, ta- it gives me great pleasure to do that, especially in times like these. What is going on with this coronavirus thing? It is all over the place, all over the papers. You know, and actually this morning I did see New Jersey log its fourth coronavirus case. The healthcare professional, 32-year-old man, has apartments in Midtown Manhattan and Fort Lee, New Jersey. Mayor Bill D. Blasio said Friday, the mayor did not name the city facility where the person works. The man had symptoms and saw 10 patients at the hospital while wearing masks and gloves before he went on to care for himself the next day. None of these 10 patients are symptomatic at this point, and this has obviously been a number of days since then, so there's a very good sign that much of this has passed. But, you know, it looks like it's getting closer to us. There are some cases in New Jersey now. Of course, no need to panic. The actual virus itself isn't that bad unless you have a very weak immune system, and, of course, we don't want to lose anybody. So taking this thing very seriously, as they should. So I don't want to focus too much on that because there's plenty in the news about the coronavirus, but we will make it through. We're working on vaccines around the clock for this, and we will figure out what is going on, and hopefully in the future, we control these things a little better than we have with this. 
Now on to the science news. There's some very juicy things that happened in the last month in the world of science. I can't wait to share that with you. The following science news segment is brought to you by Tony Fit. Are you ready to get into the best shape of your life? Certified personal trainer Tony Basil can assist you in making that a reality. Text READY to 609-674-8077. That's 609-674-8077. And you can also reach her at TonyFit at gmail.com. If you want to get in better shape, of course, summer is around the corner. So if you want a little bit of help, you want a little bit of a boost in that respect, contact Tony Basil. She is a certified personal trainer, and she knows what she is doing. Again, TonyFit at gmail.com. A gigantic asteroid, almost as large as Mount Everest, is zooming towards Earth next month. But NASA says not to worry. It's not expected to collide with our planet. Well, that's a good thing. I'm glad. The space rock is called 52768 and was first seen 22 years ago. Wow. According to the space agency, early in the morning on Wednesday, April 29th, it will pass within 3,908,791 miles of Earth, moving at 19,461 miles per hour. Now, this discovery comes on the heels of last month's installation of new state-of-the-art computing and data analysis hardware that speeds our search for near-Earth objects, said NEAT project manager Stephen Provado of JPL. Of course, that stands for Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and that is in California. He says, this shows that our efforts to find near-Earth objects are paying off. Well, we thank you for that, sir. Of course, you have the work cloud out there. We have a lot of stuff moving around that we don't know about. We're trying to find them all. I think they're doing a great job, to be quite honest with you. Although the asteroid, which is between 1 and 2.5 miles wide, is classified as potentially hazardous because of how close it will be to Earth's orbit, NASA scientists have put it on the agency's list of potential future impact events. Our goal is to discover and track all the potentially dangerous asteroids and comets long before they are likely to approach Earth, said NEAT Principal Investigator Eleanor Helen. So that's very... What do you think about that? What do you think about all this stuff lying around out there? I think, you know what's funny? I believe as, a, as humankind, just maybe just the way we've evolved, the way we are, we get wrapped up in a lot of stuff down here, especially with technology. It kind of keeps our focus, you know, a lot of people's focus on Earth and, and terrestrial things. With this technology, we can see further out. You know, we can see neutron stars. We actually got, got a glimpse of an actual black hole not that long ago. So we are stretching out, expanding our horizon. Of course, it wasn't that long ago when there was no electricity. People looked up all the time out. So, I mean, that was like the big deal, right? That's when you could see the stars at night. Everybody was gazing. You know, the ancients were tracking the stars' movements. So it's just... Incredible stuff. I'm glad we're doing that because one of those impacts would devastate. Think about how our human population is growing. So if one of these things were to hit us, it would be catastrophic no matter how you look at it. You know, any number of people losing their lives over any of these things is, you know, we don't want that. You know, we want everybody to be healthy and prosper in, in every way, health-wise, health-related, and also when it comes to financial 
returning American astronauts to the moon in 2024 and then sending pioneers onto Mars in the next decade remains a top priority for the Trump administration. Vice President Mike Pence stressed, The president has made it clear that we're going to accomplish this goal by any means necessary, Pence said Wednesday. During a speech to employees at NASA's Langley Research Center in Virginia, in order to succeed, we're going to continue to focus on the mission over the means, added Pence, who also chairs the policy steering National Space Council. We want to challenge each one of you here at Langley, says Vice President Pence. Consider every available option and platform to meet our goals, including industry, government, the entire American space enterprise. In December 2017, President Donald Trump signed Space Policy Directive 1, which officially instructed NASA to work toward returning people to the moon for the first time since 1972. Do you believe it's been that long? 1972? Whoa. <laughs> That's a wake-up call, isn't it? It's like, we beat we beat Russia there in 69, and that was like, been there, done that. You think about to this day, though, right? Even though we've been there, think about how cool that would be. To put man back on the moon, especially with the technology we have with communications, how clear that it's going to look a lot clearer than it did in 69, isn't it? I think it's pretty exciting. So hopefully we would do that sooner than later. The original timeline targeted 2028 for the crewed return, which will send two astronauts, including the first ever female moonwalker, to the lunar south pole. But in March of last year, Pence announced a significant acceleration directing NASA to aim for 2024 instead. The agency is also working towards ambitious timeline further out. For example, NASA aims to establish a sustainable long-term human presence on and around the moon by the late 2020s and to put boots on Mars sometime in the 2030s. Think about that. Having a human settlement on the moon. In 69, when people landed on the moon, when we had humans land on the moon for the first time, of course, everyone's imagination was running wild. They're thinking, whoa, if you told someone back then, hey, uh, we just landed on the moon. In 2020, what do you think will be happening in space? I can only imagine. They would think that people would uh, we have cities on the moon by now, right? Cities on the moon. And not only the moon, they would probably project wow, we're going to be filling up whatever planet we can possibly live on and find technological ways to make sense of that uh, when it comes to some of these uh, more dangerous planets that we have in our solar system. Mars isn't that great, let's be honest. First of all, you need a spacesuit. However, it is the first step. Professor Stephen Hawking recommended that we get off this planet. Not necessarily we all leave. I mean, what is there? There's six billion of us on this planet now. How are you pulling that off? And you're not pulling that off with what we currently have in technology. But I don't think he meant necessarily all of us leaving. I think Professor Hawking really meant, let's start colonizing our solar system. Because things can be quite dangerous on Earth. Not only pandemic-wise, but you also have coronal mass ejections from the sun. You have these things that can happen from space, like asteroid impacts, these things that can come out of nowhere. You know, it would be like a boxer getting blindsided. You know, we're checking out the asteroids, we're finding these different asteroids out there, and all of a sudden, boom, whoa, where'd that right hook come from? 
So I think what Hawking meant by that statement was, the sooner we start populating the solar system, the better. And here's my question to you out there listening to the S factor right now. Thank you. Number one. Number two, I want to know, would you go to the moon? Would you live on the moon? Of course, if you went to the moon, that means you could come back. However, if you were to move to Mars, especially on the maiden voyage, it's a one-way trip. Would you go? I want to know. Call me at 856-696-0092. I want to know if you would go on a one-way trip to Mars. Let's say next week they're taking names. Would you go? You'll never see your family again. But would you do that in, in the love of exploring, in the love of science, in the name of science? Would you do something like that? They might say, listen, we need astronauts on this mission to Mars. Of course, trained professionals. But we also want some regular folks to go. You know, we want barbers, we want people that lay tile. Would you go? Call me at Cruise 92.1 WVLT at 856-696-0092 and let me know. I want to hear your opinion on that. What would you do? I think we have some mixed reactions on that one. Now, here is a very interesting story that happened from the last time I was on air here. Mysterious radio signals from space have been known to repeat, but for the first time, Researchers have noticed a pattern in a series of bursts coming from a single source half a billion light years from Earth. Fast radio bursts, or FRBs, are millisecond long bursts of radio waves in space. Individual radio bursts emit once and don't repeat, but repeating fast radio bursts are known to send out short energetic radio waves multiple times, and usually when they repeat, it's a sporadic or in a cluster, according to previous observations. Now, between September 16th, 2018, and October 30th, 2019, researchers with the Canadian Hydro Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment detected pattern in bursts occurring every 16.35 days. Over the course of four days, the signal would release a burst or two each hour. Then it would go silent for about another 12 days. The repeating signal was traced to a massive spiral galaxy around 500 million light years away. Researchers hope that by tracing the origin of these mysterious bursts, they can determine what caused them. So far, they have traced single and repeating fast radio bursts back to very different sources, which deepens the mystery. Is someone trying to contact us out there? The first repeating radio, excuse me, the first repeating fast radio burst traced FRB 121102, linked back to a small dwarf galaxy containing stars and metals. FRB 180916 was traced to one of the spiral arms of the Milky Way-esque, of a Milky Way-esque galaxy. Ooh. It was also within a star-forming region of the arm, the researchers said. Now the evidence of a pattern in the signal adds to the question of what could cause these bursts to emit in the way that they do. Researchers considered the possible causes like orbital motion of a star or an object that acts as a companion in the outskirts of the galaxy. The authors of another paper who consulted with researchers who discovered the pattern suggest the cause could be coming from a neutron star, an early OB-type star binary system. Neutron stars are the smallest in the universe, the remnants of a supernova. Their diameters are comparable to the size of a city like Chicago or Atlanta, but they are incredibly dense, with masses bigger than that of our sun. 
Imagine. So much smaller than the sun, but their mass is incredibly dense. It's hard to imagine that. OB-type stars are short-lived, hot, massive stars. Interaction between these two and the wind coming off of the OB star type could factor into the cause of the repeating FRB's pattern. Understanding fast radio bursts can also help astronomers learn more about the universe itself. The more bursts they can trace, the better they may be able to use the signals to map how matter is distributed across the universe. We were hoping for aliens. You know you were. You know you were hoping those aliens were using radio bursts to contact us. Now, if they were, chances are that civilization, the signals would take so long to reach us that chances are those people are long gone. Maybe not. But they're, they're, not, uh, they're not saying that it's the aliens here. I'm looking at those neutron stars. Scientists in Canada have announced the discovery of a new species of dinosaur closely related to Tyrannosaurus rex that strode the plain of North America about 80 million years ago. Dinosaurs had feathers ruffled by parasites, study finds. Thanatorides degrudium, Greek for Reaper of Death, is thought to be the oldest member of the T-Rex family, yet discovered in North America, northern North America and would have grown to around 26 feet in length. Ooh, man. I would suggest not messing with that. The only known large apex predator of its time in Canada. Very interesting. So, Reaper of Death. Well, I, I, would, I would assume that he probably wasn't the easiest person to deal with, right? <laughs> with a name like that. The nickname has come to be Thanatos, she told AFP. Whereas T-Rex, the most famous of all dinosaur species, and let's face it, what kid doesn't love that dinosaur? He stalked its prey about 66 million years ago, which is the T-Rex. Thanatos dates back to at least 79 million years, the team said. Wow. The specimen was discovered by Jared Voris, a PhD student at Calgary, and is the first new Tyrannosaur species found for 50 years in Canada. Wow, so we have a little Canadian, well, not so little, huh? A big-time Canadian Tyrannosaur. Tyrannosaur. Mm. You know, I don't think they're vegan. I don't think they were vegan, those tyrannosaurs. They liked their meat. And I am so glad that Homo sapien was not around back then. Alien life on Jupiter's moon Europa, a sure bet, space scientists say. Whoa. Now, in a 2013 science fiction flick, Europa Report, a crew of space explorers in the future find a bizarre squid-like creature lurking in the cold waters beneath the icy exterior shell of Jupiter's moon Europa. By the way... I think that would be a wonderful place to visit after we get our feet wet on Mars. Jupiter's moon Europa, which we know has water. And usually, they're living organisms in water. Now, they may be small, microscopic, but chances are they are there. One leading space scientist now says that we inevitably will have to shave the word fiction from how we classify this tale. When it comes to the prospects of life beyond Earth, it's almost a racing certainty that there's life beneath the ice of Europa, says Monica Grady, a professor of planetary and space science and the newest chandler at Liverpool Hope University in the UK. Elsewhere, if there's going to be life on Mars, it's going to be under the surface of the planet. There you're protected from solar radiation. Excellent point. And that means there's a possibility 
of ice remaining in the pores of the rocks, which could act as a source of water. Speaking at her new professional home, she said, While Mars is intriguing, the smart money is still in Europa as the most alien-friendly locale in the solar system. I think we got a better chance of having slightly higher forms of life on Europa, perhaps similar to the intelligence of an octopus. Observations of, a snow, of the snowball moon suggest that the water beneath the surface is both salty and perhaps heated by hydrothermal vents, producing a nice mix of conditions for life to thrive. There are plans to send a NASA mission, dubbed Europa Clipper, to look for life on the frozen satellite. And of course, there's plenty of talk about further investigating Mars. We've already landed multiple rovers and could soon set down our first footprints, which I, that's going to be a super exciting time. But Grady isn't betting on the red planet as home for a very complex life. If there is something on Mars, it's likely to be very small bacteria, she says. I'm fairly certain that we're all there. Excuse me. I'm fairly certain that we're all there is when it comes to our level of intelligence in this planetary system. Which I'm going to say she's probably correct in that assumption. But we don't really know. I mean, we have some great photos. My goodness, they have. there has just been an image released, the highest resolution image of Mars ever. It is gorgeous. That's floating around the internet right now if you want to check that out. And it's called the Red Planet for a reason. It is very red and very barren. And as of yet, we have not found any aliens walking about. But that does not mean there isn't life of some kind there. So we're going to dig deep into that. My question for you remains, from my listeners out there, would you take a one-way trip to Mars? Now, like I said, the maiden voyage, there's no coming back. It's a one-way trip. That changes that question. I'm sure it changes the answer for so many people out there. But there are going to be people out there that, maybe in the name of science, and the name of discovery, they're not going to care about that. You know, I can't come back. All right. Whatever. I'm still wanna, I still want to go. I want to hear from you. I want you to call me and tell me, would you go to Mars if it was a one-way trip? You can call me at 856-696-0092. Again, that's 856-696-0092. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the red planet. What do we know about Mars? Why is it named Mars? What's it mean to go there? What are we going to do? How's this going to affect us? We're going to talk about that when we get back. If you're listening to The S Factor, I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Celebrate and start the new year off in a new home. There are plenty of beautiful homes in the area, and interest rates are at near record lows. So now is a great time to buy. Now, maybe you'd like to finally purchase that investment property you've always wanted. Or maybe you'd like to sell a home or property. Realtor Tara Shazer can assist you in buying or selling any home or property. Contact Tara Shazer at REMAX Platinum Properties at 609-402-1992. Again, that's 609-402-1992. Or email her at tarasdreamhomes at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Tara Shazer, and I'm ready to help you find your dream home. Car buying can be a brutal experience. Pushy salespeople and deals that are too good to be true. Choosing the right dealership is crucial in today's marketplace. So, where can you go? 
Since 1976, there has been a dealership in Vineland that is family-owned and operated and has a diverse selection of cars, trucks, utility vehicles, and more. J&C Auto Sales at 1912 West Landis Avenue in Vineland can guide you through the car buying experience with no hassle and a laid-back atmosphere. The Shazer brothers carefully select each vehicle they sell and offer Carfax reports on all their inventory. Shop in a stress-free environment and get the vehicle you want at a price that won't rock your bank account. Stop by and mention the S-Factor for a special offer. J&C Auto Sales is located at 1912 West Landis Avenue in Vineland. You can give them a call today at 856-696-4072. That's 856-696-4072. Or check them out online at jcauto.net. Serving South Jersey for 44 years. Tired of buying your kids the same old toys or video games? What if I told you there is an educational film that is action-packed, exciting, and family-friendly? And it costs far, far less than a trip to the movies. ScienceAnimated.net is proud to present Science Animated The Human Body. Available as a DVD or digital stream, this film will get your kids engaged and interested in learning. From all across America, parents, teachers, and homeschoolers have purchased Science Animated The Human Body. The unique mixture of action-adventure and education makes this film a must-own. It's perfect for school-aged children, 8 and up. It combines education with entertainment as it covers the muscles, skin, and bone systems of the body. This approach makes learning fun and truly is educational entertainment. Parents nationwide have had fantastic things to say about Science Animated The Human Body. Linda Verdes says, My son loved this video and wants to watch it over and over. We printed out the extra worksheets on the webpage and we're both having fun learning all the names of the bones and muscles. Highly recommended. Bobby Gannon says, Got it for my grandkids to watch while at my house. I'm going to have to get more copies to take to their homes as well. They ask for it over and over. Love it. So visit scienceanimated.net today and get free companion worksheets to go along with the movie. Science Animated The Human Body, available now at scienceanimated.net. Welcome back to The S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. I just want to thank you again for joining me today. And I know, I know it's almost March Madness time, but we're not going there today. We're talking about Mars Madness. March Madness can be covered on other shows, sports shows. So we're all about science, so of course it's going to be a Mars Madness. Now, how many people saw Mission to Mars? I think that came out in 1998, I'm going to say. I had Gary Sinise. I'm trying to remember the other actors. Now, at the time... We saw a face on Mars, right? What we perceive to be a face, a human face. Now, of course, that just made people go wild. Their imaginations ran wild with that. What in the world is that? That is definitely proof that there are people or were, there was an ancient civilization on Mars. Because much like our ancients, they created things that could be seen by an aerial, from an aerial view, right? They did that to appease their gods, right? So when people saw these images in the late 90s, they went wild. Oh my gosh, there's people on Mars. Now, of course, since then, with 
and the technological advances with our camera systems, we actually can see close up what that face is. Our brands will put together a photo. If you don't have all the pieces, you have some things that are missing. And there's some evolutionary ties to this. So they believe that it's our way. It's like a survival mechanism. You're looking around. Hmm. That looks like it may be. It may be a tiger. Oh, my gosh. You know, so just to be on the safe side, I'm going to assume that's a predator. I'm going to leave. Okay. So much in that respect, that makes sense to me. So that's kind of what's happening with the face on Mars. We didn't have a clear enough view of what that actually was. Now we do. So anyway, in 1998 or 99, I can't remember which, when the Mission to Mars film came out, that was one of the main features of that story. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie and it kind of, well, it kind of shows you why you need to wear a spacesuit. It kind of lets you know why it's so dangerous, that mission is so dangerous. But I believe it's a mission that we're definitely going to take. And if nothing crazy happens that wipes us out technologically or wipes us out, you know, I think we will make it there eventually. We definitely have our goals set on going to Mars. But again, I want to ask you, would you go if it was a one-way trip? 856 696 Nine, two. Now, what is Mars? Red planet Mars, named for the Roman god of war. Whoa. Easy. <laughs> it has long been an omen in the night sky. Of course, you can see Mars with a naked eye if you know where to look. And in its own way, the planet's rusty red surface tells a story of destruction. Billions of years ago. The fourth planet from the sun could have been mistaken for Earth's smaller twin. With liquid water on its surface and maybe even life, think about that. At one point, Mars, well, we know water was there. You can see the effects of water on the terrain. It could have been very similar to Earth, which is exciting to think. Now, however, the world is a cold, barren desert with few signs of liquid water. But after decades of study... Using orbiters, landers, and rovers, scientists have revealed Mars as a dynamic, windblown landscape that could just maybe harbor, harbor microbial life beneath, beneath its rusty surface even today. Now, it has a longer year and shifting seasons, has a radius of 2,106 miles, and is the seventh largest planet in our solar system, about half the diameter of Earth. Its gravity is 37.5% of Earth's. Now, Mars rotates on its axis every 24.6 Earth hours, defining the length of a Martian day, which is called a sol, short for solar day. Mars' axis of rotation is tilted, 25.2 degrees, relative to the plane of the planet's orbit around the sun, which helps give Mars seasons, similar to those on Earth, which whichever hemisphere is tilted closer to the sun experiences spring and summer while the hemisphere tilted away gets fall and winter. At two specific moments each year, called the equinoxes, both hemispheres receive equal illumination. That is really cool. That isn't something that we experience on Earth. One side is light, one side is dark. But for several reasons, seasons on Mars are different from those on Earth. 
For one, Mars is on average about 50% further from the Sun than Earth is, with an average orbital distance of 142 million miles. This means that it takes Mars longer to complete a single orbit, stretching its year and its, its length of its seasons. On Mars, a year lasts about 669.6 souls, or 687 Earth days. And an individual season can last up to 194 souls, or just over 199 Earth days. So look at that right there, the difference. We have 365 days. They have 687. Hmm. Are you interested in working? So 365? 687? <laughs> the angle of Mars' axis of rotation also changes much more often than Earth's, which has led to swings in the Martian climate on timescales of thousands to millions of years. In addition, Mars' orbit is less circular than Earth's, which means that its orbital velocity varies more over the course of a Martian year. This annual variation affects the timing of the red planet's solstices and equinoxes. On Mars, the northern hemisphere's spring and summer are longer than the fall and winter. There's another complicating factor. Mars has a far thinner atmosphere than Earth, which dramatically lessens how much heat the planet can trap near its surface. So, the surface temperature on Mars can reach as high as 70 degrees Fahrenheit and as low as 200, negative 225 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh, you think that... Can you imagine? That's like instant frost right there. So, as you can tell, obviously, not very hospitable without a spacesuit. But on average, its surface is 81, negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit, a full 130 degrees colder than Earth's average temperature. Now, the prim primary driver of modern Martian geology is its atmosphere, which is mostly made of carbon dioxide, nitrogen, and argon. By Earth standards, the air is pretty thin. Air pressure atop Mount Everest is about 50 times higher than it is at the Martian surface. Hmm. Look at that. Air pressure is about 50 times higher than it is at the Martian surface of Mount Everest. Wow. Despite the thin air, Martian breezes can gust up to 60 miles an hour kicking up dust that fuels huge dust storms and massive fields of alien sand dunes. Now, how incredible is that? Once upon a time, though, wind and water flowed across the red planet. Robotic rovers have found clear evidence that billions of years ago, lakes and rivers of liquid water coursed across the planet's surface. This means that at some point in the distant past, Mars' atmosphere was significantly dense and retained enough heat for water to remain liquid on the planet's surface. Not so today. Ice abounds under the Martian surface and its polar ice caps. There are no large bodies of liquid water on the surface there today. Again, so we know there has been water on the red planet. And they assume there's, you know, ice. Same thing with the moon. Wherever we go, when Hawking said... You must get off Earth. You have to eventually spread out the species. We have to be a multi-planetary civilization. And, of course, we can be a warring people sometimes, which is sad. 
but that's the reality of life. But he wasn't talking about because we're going to do ourselves in. He's, he was worried about threats from the outside. Asteroid. Uh, you could even have gamma ray bursts. You could have a coronal mass ejection that takes out our grid. If it has a direct impact with Earth. In 2012, I think we missed one by two weeks. So the Earth's position in space would have been hit directly if that coronal mass ejection from the sun was in that path two weeks before. So it's very, very, very important that we migrate to other planets. Now, would you go? That's my question to you. Here's another question. Would you go to the moon? I want to hear what you have to say about that. Would you go to the moon? I mean, you can make trips back. Not a big deal. It's not terribly far. And we kind of know what we're dealing with. We've been there. When Neil Armstrong stepped foot on the moon. We know what's there. We've studied it enough. We haven't been there in a while. It was 72, which is hard to believe. But we know we're familiar with the moon. Mars. Hmm. We know a lot about it. Listen, those rovers. I remember when they sent the first rover over. Oh, I rhymed. Rover over. It was so exciting. I mean, that was news everywhere. You know, and to think that we're able to engineer a rover and, and communicate with that rover <laughs> from Earth. Now <laughs> think about that. We've all had remote control cars, right, growing up. A lot of us have, I should say. Now the big thing is the drone. Everybody's flying the drones around. It seems like if you shoot video for a living, you pretty much have to own one of those. Drones are everywhere. Now imagine that technology, but on Mars. So you have a delay. I mean, what these people do, what these scientists put together with exploring these other planets in the solar system, being able to communicate, and, and there's really no room for error. You know, the last rover that they dropped was very large. And I remember watching how they actually designed this and were ready to deploy it and everything that went into them dropping it on the surface of Mars. It was astonishing. There was zero room for error. There was a parachute involved that had to be deployed at a certain time once it entered the atmosphere. And this thing is booking as far as it's traveling down. I mean, my goodness, one mistake and that rover would have been lost, destroyed. You know? And you're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars and a lot of time and effort gone. Thank goodness that we have scientists that are able to calculate these things and make the most of it and are really... Um, when it came to the latest rover, incredibly accurate with their measurements and how they how they time things. Really incredible. Now, Mars also lacks an active plate tectonic system. Now, that's interesting. The geologic engine that drives our active Earth and is also missing a planetary magnetic field. The absence of this protective barrier makes it easy for the sun's high-energy particles to strip away the red planet's atmosphere, which may help explain why Mars' atmosphere is so thin now. But in the ancient past, up until about 4.12 to 4.14 billion years ago, Mars seems to have had 
an inner dynamo powering a planet-wide magnetic field. What shut down the Martian dynamo? Well, scientists are still trying to figure that out. Now the highs and lows, like Earth and Venus, Mars has mountains, valleys, and volcanoes. But the red planets are far from the biggest and most dramatic. Olympus Mons, the solar system's largest volcano, towers some 16 miles above the Martian surface, making it three times taller than Everest. Think about all the mountain climbers that have climbed our great mountains on Earth. They got to the summit, they accomplished their goal safely, got down safely. Oh, wait a minute, you're telling me? Then we can go to Mars and mountain climb? And <laughs> Are you kidding me? Absolutely incredible. Three times taller than Everest. And there's more of this. The geology is its incredible. I mean, there's canyons that, that make... We have the Grand Canyon. I don't know if ever, anyone's ever been out there that's listening, but that's breathtaking. Now, if we start traveling around the solar system, we're going to see some things that just absolutely blow us away. We saw the moon surface. Yeah, there's some big craters there. When you talk about what's on Mars, 16 miles above the Martian surface, the solar system's largest volcano, that is amazing. Imagine that, 16 miles. Now, it's so wide, it's some 374 miles across. The volcano's average slope is only slightly steeper than a wheelchair ramp. The peak is so massive. It curves with the surface of Mars. If you stood at the outer edge of Olympus Mons, its summit would lie beyond the horizon. Now, they think its core is most likely made of iron and nickel, like Earth's, but probably contains more sulfur than ours. The best available estimates suggest the core is about 2,120 miles across, give or take 370 miles. But we don't know the specifics. NASA's InSight lander aims to unravel the mysteries of Mars' interior by tracking how seismic waves move through the red planet. Mars' northern and southern hemisphere are wildly different from one another, to a degree unlike any other planet in the solar system. And that's something they're going to have to keep in mind when they explore how different that is. The planet's northern hemisphere consists mostly of low-lying plains, and the crust there can be just 19 miles thick. The highlands of the southern hemisphere, however, are studded with many extinct volcanoes, and the crust there can get up to 62 miles thick. Now, what happened? It's possible that the patterns are of internal magna flow called the difference, but sometimes I think it's the result of Mars suffering one or several major impacts. One recent model suggests Mars got its first two, its two faces because an object the size of Earth's moon slammed into Mars near its south pole. It's two faces. It's very possible. Both hemispheres do have one thing in common. They're covered in the planet's trademark dust, which gets its many shades of orange, red, and brown from iron rust. So, if you're listening and you hate rust, you might not want to go to the red planet. You're going to see a lot of it. Since the 1960s, humans have robotically explored Mars more than any other planet beyond Earth. Currently, eight missions from the U.S., European Union, Russia, and India are actively orbiting Mars or roving across its surface. But getting safely to Red Planet is no small feat. Of the 45 Mars missions launched since 1960, 26 had some component of fail to leave Earth, fall silent en route, miss orbit around Mars, 
burn up in the atmosphere, crash on the surface, or die prematurely. Now, again, it's no easy task to get there. I ask you the question, would you go? We have a caller on the line. Welcome to the S-Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. Welcome. Thank you. What's your name and where are you from? My name is Jen, and I'm from Estelle Manor. Hello, Jen. Thanks for listening. Would you go to the Red Planet? Sure. You would? Yes, absolutely. Why not? Mm, Now, see, that's interesting, because I think many people would hear that one-way trip disclaimer, and they would probably think twice about it. But you're saying that you would take that gamble. I would. Wow. Now, what intrigues you about that trip? What makes you say, yes, I would do it? Is it exploring? Is it going somewhere that we haven't gone before as a species and making history? Or is it to get away from your significant other? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me think about that. No, I think, I don't know. I think just to go somewhere else and see what's out there. I mean, there's no way that we're the only planet that has people like us that live on it. You never know what's out there. So you think once we get to Mars, we will be greeted or maybe see something that indicates there is intelligent life? Yeah, I think we need to be one step closer to find alien life. Well, they're talking about microbial, so that's probably a sure bet. E.T. might be on that planet. What was that again? I said E.T. might be on that planet. (laughs) Well, E.T., I'm going to assume came from much further away. Yeah. Another uh, you know, galaxy altogether, perhaps. But would you visit Europa, which is an icy moon? I would say no. No? I don't like the cold. <laughs> well, did you hear how cold it gets on Mars? Oh. I mean, it's very frigid at points. Well, you go to Mars, though, so that's, that's one for Mars. I would. I would. That's good. And I always enjoy hearing your voice on the radio. Oh, well, that's, that makes me feel good. It's, it's a pleasure to be on, and I want to thank you for listening, and thank you for calling the S-Factor. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Wow, what do you think about that? We have a caller that would go to Mars. And my question to you is, would you go? You can call me at Cruising 92.1 WVLT at 856 856- 696-0092. Again, that's 856-696-0092. Would you go on a one-way trip to Mars? That is the question I give you today. Now, again, that's a one-way trip. That means you're not going to see your friends. You're not going to see your family. You're off to Mars. You're going to make history. You're going to make history. You're going to see that rust color. <laughs> you're going to see that wonderful landscape the rest of your life, you know? It's very possible. But there are, I mean, so there are going to be a collection of scientists. Now, I would gather that there are going to be a lot of people that are clamoring to go. But we're going to find out what you have to say. We have another caller on the line here. Welcome to the S Factor with your host, Chuck Shazer. Would you go to Mars? Of course not. Come on, really. Uh, Let's look at some facts here of uh, why we would even get involved in that. Other than the ego pride of man and engineering such a product and wasting money like that. We know that the planet's desolate. There's nothing there, really. It's a planet that technology-wise, you'd have to have an atmosphere man-made, okay? Yes. So why would I want to see money spent like that 
when in the Pacific Ocean there's plastic garbage running around the size of Texas and nobody's even given a thought about how to clean that up. So resources and contractors and all the hush-hush, because now NASA's just the front of all the other contractors, you know, with their technology, which is wonderful, but I find it's ludicrous to go to a planet that's, you can just step out in the desert any place in the world and you have the same thing. Don't you think it's ridiculous? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you mention that because, you know, they have those biodomes that they set up. They try to recreate what the conditions will be like. And like you're saying, many times they are in a desolate place like a desert to try that out. But the fact is, why? what is the opportune? What is the basic thing that's going to benefit mankind other than just the ego that we did it and we're there? We did the moon thing. Mm-hmm. Supposedly there's parts of the moon that some of the astronauts saw that it's unexplainable, and I'll leave it at that, because oh. a lot of it's, you know, <laughs> oh conjecture and alien uh, yes. possibilities. Uh-huh. Right. Or the Soviets were already there. I mean, there's all kinds of BS. But the fact of the matter is, with all that money and that technology, wouldn't you think we'd be able to really clean up some really groovy things, make the oceans really more viable than, than what they are now? Well, when you talk about, like, terraforming, as I think what you're mentioning before when you talk about terraforming mars to make it earth-like if we can do something that drastic to mars we can certainly clean up our mess on earth that's the way i look at it but uh the, the point is what what is you tell me what the benefit's going to be for you if we go to mars if we spend all this money because it's got to be an extraordinary oh, amount of money absolutely. in many years invested into this endeavor. What's the benefit for you, personally, or for me? Well, you know, I think the question isn't for me, necessarily, personally. You you know, you talk about the ego thing, and you're right. It would be, it's a huge ego boost to make a leap like that. Absolutely. And to be the first nation to do it, more so. You know, so, you have that factor. But for me, to be honest with you, I want to see us survive as a species, and of course, we should clean up our planet. No doubt about that. When you think about what Professor Hawking said about spreading out, spreading humanity across our solar system, really to just give us more of an opportunity of survival, a better chance of survival, long-term survival. What do you think about that? Well, that's because we can't even be humane to each other because every scientific endeavor because a weaponized idea. Okay? You talk about drones... Look, I was in the service. I've seen what drones can do overseas, okay? Absolutely. All right? It becomes weaponized. And to me, like the moon would become a weaponized port. You know, the space station, God knows what really the endeavor is. We villainize the Russians, yet they they help us. And we use their, uh, for the last 15 years, we've been using their their heavy boosters to get payloads up there. We have. And now we're going to... Now we contract it with old Elon Musk, who's the Howard Hughes of the 21st century. That's right. The bottom line is it always gets weaponized. You know that. Yeah. So why can't we look at how Costello was operating and clean up the plant? Wouldn't it be magnificent to see species abundant that are dying in the ocean? That Absolutely. Are, that actually sustain other cultures and other countries for mm-hmm. protein? It's dwindling, man. Absolutely. And the, the fact of the matter is there's the trophy. 
if we could set out one endeavor before we go to the bigger ones in climate change, clean up that, that Texas-sized sewer, get it out of there, and uh, then move on from there. But we won't. We won't. We'll, we'll, we won't, because yeah. we've got to weaponize everything. I mean, that's, that's how I am. I mean, I love the space program. Believe me, I grew up mm-hmm. in the 60s watching it, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, it was a beautiful thing, it but is. to me... It is a beautiful thing. Space you know, travel and... You know, it's, yeah. it's too goofy now that they want to weaponize everything. That's well, And they keep it very secretive. That's why it's all contracted out, because that way the Freedom of Information Act doesn't follow those companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, when you talk about... I'm going to have to uh, get going, Call. I want to thank you very much for the call. Great call. Thank you for listening. I'm going to have to uh, get going here. We're running low on time. Right but yeah, what what the caller mentioned here is unfortunately a sad fact of our human, I guess you could say instinctually. You know, and unfortunately, um, we have to deal with that moving forward when it comes to any kind of new technological advancement, right? But yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's that's the way it is. And listen, we can only be optimistic about it. We there's no guarantees with any of this, right? There's no guarantee the mission would even work. There's no guarantee that their technological advances would would help clean up the earth maybe the way it needs to be. So really we can only be we can only work hard, do our part individually and move forward. Yeah, I, I and, see your point, yeah. but I think it's an easier endeavor to clean up the planet by starting one step step at a time and something tangible like what's going on in the Pacific with everybody dumping plastics out and floating around, it's being eaten by species it's creating a lot of havoc within a lot of species, a lot of fish, uh, turtles. The whole thing that in the 70s was supposed to be cleaned up, like, uh, you know, turtles were eating those six-pack plastic things. Were, they oh, were I know. Floating around. Listen, you know about the, the, the coral reef. Zero again with that. Yeah, the coral That's reef what I don't situation. Understand. We yeah. abandoned things, and then we go on to these other things when we haven't really, we haven't really corrected the things that are happening here, and they're easy corrections. Uh, that's what I believe, and I just can't see wasting the money. Like I said, I'm repeating myself. I get it, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. You know, you're a man of science. Yes, sir. I mean, you know, and how much of technology have they kept from us because they weaponize it in the end? Well, unfortunately, in the end, it becomes a weapon. Unfortunately, yeah. As as long as we have uh, that mindset, who's controlling the world? Who's controlling technology? We have to deal with that. What caller? I want to thank you for joining me today. And okay. I thank all of you for but joining me today. I want to go today. there, man. You know, there's no beach, there's no girls scantily clad, and there's no hot dogs <laughs> and coke, man. So, there you go. You know. Hey, man, it was <laughs> great talking to you. Thanks for the call. And okay. Guys, you can you can catch me here on Cruising 92.1 the first Saturday of every month at 1 o'clock. I want to thank you for joining me today. You have been listening to The S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer, creator of ScienceAnimated.net. Have a great weekend. Take care, everybody. You have been listening to The S Factor, brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net on Cruisin' 92.1 WBLT. WVLT Vineland. Cruisin' 92.1.